Perfect. If you could find your way back to your seats. So we're going to start now the audience question period. There has been a, a number of requests from individuals in the back that they can't see our lovely candidates. So our candidates are going to answer the questions by coming to the podium. Um, that way they can feel more formal, which helps. So when asking a question, um, again, be very clear and concise. If you want to provide a preamble, make it short, um, or if you want to ask the question to one or all of the candidates, please indicate that. Um, if you only want to ask it to one, let that individual know and they will come. We might provide an opportunity to rebuttal if, if, um, if it's civil. <laughs> so with that, let's start with our first question. Please give us your name and your question. Uh, my name is uh, Ernie Ingbrecht. And the question is for my MLA, Maria Fitzpatrick. What will be the primary drivers that will balance our budget by 2023, as you have determined will happen? Uh, thank you very much for the question. Uh, I believe that uh, some of those drivers will be uh, a change in our economy in terms of uh, oil, in terms of agriculture, in terms of the diversity that we've uh, put in place right now, uh, we are starting to see uh, changes on that. Uh, and in fact, that's what's played into the $1.9 billion uh, that has been reduced from our 2018 budget. Hello, my name is Dave Garrett. I have a question for Mr. Hargreaves. The, uh, the colors of our political parties are somewhat well established. Uh, I've noticed the Tory party has uh, been blue for many years, the Liberal Party red, the NDP uh, perhaps stuck with orange. But I'm wondering why your posters are orange. Are you trying to dissociate yourself uh, from uh, the traditional red party, or are you trying to confuse people and ride on the coattails of the orange party? Thank you, Dave. That template came down from central office where it's supposed to be a brighter red, but we have heard from a few people they closely resemble orange. With that, uh, and if you see David Kahn, our, our leader, with his announcements, um, he'll be making one in, in Lethbridge shortly as well. Um, we are going back to a, a darker red. However, we've already got the signs. Uh, they are paid for. Thank you for your question. It's why I wore black and white today. <laughs> the colors matter. Next question. So my question is for all of them. And Oh, Name, Chris please. Raleigh. And it has to do with uh, disability issues and what your platforms will do to help move forward, uh, helping make sure that the most vulnerable in our society are protected. John, would you like to go first? Okay, I'm. Uh, the Alberta Independence Party, what we're looking at doing is increasing the uh, disability payment 
to uh, a sum of $3,750 per month. In addition to that, we are focused on changing the Alberta health care system to improve its delivery and improve the services that it offers. The current services right now, uh, that will be our baseline and our litmus test so that when any changes that we make, and these changes will be on the su suggestion of the people of Alberta, is that these changes will increase that service delivery. And a couple of areas where it's really important is uh, people with disabilities and the elderly. Just a quick example here, I, I think it's absolutely criminal that I have to wait 16 months just to get an MRI here in Lethbridge. And, uh, and in addition to that, a year and a half just to get a simple 45-minute uh, surgery. It's just our medical system shouldn't be like that. We need more frontline workers, and we need more support for the uh, disabled. Thank you very much. Maria? Uh, thank you for the question, Chris. And uh, you know you've met with me a number of times on disability issues. And in fact, again, I will say that uh, our record really does speak for itself in that we have indexed uh, the disability or the age payments, and we've also increased this year uh, the payment by $97 a month, which does make a difference. Uh, it doesn't seem like much, and in fact, perhaps it should be more, but when we get to a balanced uh, budget, uh, I hope that we're going to do something further. Uh, I'm a person with a disability, and uh, I've had my disability for... Um, 20 years that I actually knew I had and was diagnosed with my disability. And uh, I know what kinds of struggles, and I'm also a senior. And uh, I wear hearing aids, as I see you do. Um, and I know how expensive things like that are, and I know that we have to do better uh, for not just disability payments, but for uh, our seniors. And in terms of wait times, you know that there's a separation between uh, the Ministry of Health and AHS. And that was done uh, by a previous government uh, where there's an empty seat right now. And uh, uh, I think that uh, given what we were faced with in 2015 when uh, we became the government, we have moved forward on uh, disability issues uh, by pushing and pushing and pushing and making sure that it did. And Chris knows I have advocated tirelessly uh, to make sure that happened. Uh, so uh, that's my response to that question. Thank you. Thank you. Devin? Thank you, and thanks for the question. Uh, so with that, the Alberta Liberal Party is looking at bringing in more classroom supports for, for children with, with learning disabilities. So not only reducing class sizes so that all children benefit, but bringing in more uh, educational uh, assistance and, and the likes to, to help where needed. 
we firmly believe that age needs to be uh, brought up to the, the standards of living. It's been years, and uh, that the most recent increase was good, but frankly, it's not enough. Uh, we're also focused on early intervention uh, with mental health uh, for youth. Increased funding there, let's address mental health from the beginning. And one more thing that uh, I personally am passionate about, last time I was here actually, I had the pleasure of speaking on, was conversion therapy. The NDP government has said they'll do it. They've had four years to do it. They have not. They needed another five months to review that, putting it past the election period. So that's what myself and the Alberta Liberal Party would, would do. We would ban that. Uh, and uh, thank you. Yes, Maria would like to rebuttal. What I'm going to say is there is a clear choice. You can vote for Rachel Notley and our team, or you can vote for the UCP. And the UCP is gonna cut. We have done everything we can within the constraints that we have to move things forward, and we have moved things forward. And we are moving forward to a balanced budget, and your choice is very clear. Kenny or Rachel Notley? Thank you. Devin, I figured there'd be some rebuttals to that. So Devin, yes, please. Thank you. It's almost insulting to voters to say that there's a clear choice between two parties when there's three candidates here and five in total. Lethbridge's has been uh, a liberal writing for years. We plan to, uh, to take it back to that. We're focused on families, the economy. We're, we're doing things and, and stepping up, and we're, we're here, and we're here to win. Uh, so thank you. I have uh, one statement and one question. Uh, the statement is, is that we're the only alternative to a broken political system. The, and my question is, uh, for the NDP, how, uh, how can you balance your budget if our dollar drops down to 62 cents, which the latest uh, uh, economists predict it will do in the, in the very, very near future? Unfortunately, Unfortunately John, um, we're going to leave that okay. uh, because we want questions from the audience. But thank you for pos posing the question, but we'll take one from the audience. Hi. Um, uh, nice to see the youth um, getting in, younger people getting involved in the political game. Um, do you want my name? Oh, we no, you don't want name. mine. I want, I want, this is to, oh, Darlene McLean. For, this is for Devin Hargraves. So sorry. Yes, at any rate, th it's nice to see some youth getting uh, involved in the game. Uh, Devin Hargraves. Uh, Hargraves, please tell us about your experiences, though, and why you would be a good MLA. Thanks, Darlene. When I moved to Lethbridge in 2011, I quickly joined the Lethbridge College Students Association. With that, that was my first foray into politics. We were in Edmonton very regularly fighting the cuts the Redford government made to post-secondary education. Uh, from there, uh, I became involved with Lethbridge Pride Fest. 
Um, I was on that board for two years, just wrapped in uh, July uh, of uh, two years of being chair. Uh, I then helped found the White Rail Society for Change. We've petitioned for, to ban conversion therapy for um, issues for, for youth and, and things like that. I've been doing all this advocacy, um, regardless, while working a full-time job. Uh, but if elected, I can work twice as hard for you. Thank you. Question with your name, please. I'm Pirate Jen, and I am here on behalf of the Lethbridge Public Interest Research Group. We're a student-levy-funded, student-driven, social, environmental, and economic activism org at the University of Lethbridge. We, yeah, right? It's great times. Uh, I had a different question, but because conversion therapy keeps coming up, when LPERG launched the campaign to the provincial government uh, to seek a ban for conversion therapy provincially, we worked long and hard and very closely with the government, and it did lead to figuring out some of the more intricate details. It's a very large issue. It's very hard to legislate. And then in partnership with Devon Hargraves, we launched a federal uh, campaign that garnered 18,000 signatures. And the Trudeau Liberals' response was, it's not our problem. We're going to push it back off to the provincial government. Uh, this is specifically a question for the UCP, but here we are. So if each uh, candidate could let me know what their party intends to do in regards to banning conversion therapy, especially in light of the federal government's refusal to take action. Yes, please. Uh, thank you for your question, Jen. And in fact, we have talked about this uh, many times. And... Uh, we, as you also know, uh, have a motion that was ready to go uh, to the legislature on banning conversion therapy. Now, I will say that it's fine for the province to ban, but there has to be a consequence. And that consequence would actually go in the criminal code, which is federal, and we can't do anything about that. But that isn't to say that we wouldn't put the ban out there. In fact, as you know, we have uh, uh, a bill or a motion all ready to go on that, hopefully, when we're re-elected. Thank you. Thank you. If the motion was ready to go, then why wasn't it moved? The, uh, in November, I, in my interactions with Minister Hoffman's office, they had a bill ready to go then. Um, 45, or just about a year ago when Notley was in Lethbridge speaking, of course, to SACPA, uh, they said that they were consulting LGBT groups on how to best uh, enact a ban. Now we need another five months. If a bill's ready to go, why do they need another five months to research that? And why are they playing politics with the lives and safety of queer youth? Maria. We are certainly not playing with the lives of anyone. Um, and I guess one of the things that you have to learn in the legislature is how a bill or a motion goes forward, and that does not go forward in days. It takes months for any bill to move forward. And if you have an opposition that's standing up and debating all kinds of other things every time you bring an issue up. In fact, Bill 24, the GSAs, the debate went on and on and on. 
It wasn't like we weren't ready to put it forward immediately. We certainly were, but it doesn't happen like that. When you're in the legislature, there are rules and processes that you have to follow, and that's what was done. And Nicole's bill was ready to go, and the writ dropped. There's nothing we can do about that either. Thank you. Next question, please. Your name and the question. Uh, uh, my name is Esther Rodiniak, and I have a remark as well. Can I just have the remark first, and I'll ask a question? Can you, I'm sorry, can you what? I have a remark as well. Uh, people are talking about the, uh, the class sizes, how big they are. And uh, I talked with uh, David Agin, and he said that he never did cut education at all. He's giving money to the, um, all the school boards. However, he cannot dictate how the school boards, how they spend their money. So uh, I work for, uh, at a school board here in Lethbridge, and it seems like uh, all the money just stays at the top and doesn't cycle through. I don't think it has anything to do with the NDP, uh, the government at all, because they're giving the money. It just stops at there in the top, and it doesn't come down. That's, that's, where, that's where the problem is. Uh, my question is uh, to John. I was just, uh, actually I was in uh, Ontario last summer and uh, they were talking about the Alberta, that Alberta's thinking about uh, becoming uh, not part of uh, Canada anymore. And uh, one of them um, was uh, a lot of uh, people from uh, Cape, Cape Britain and um, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, they're all coming here to work. We would have a really big sh uh, shortage of uh, labor. And also, uh, Canada has a really big debt problem. And uh, as of press time, and that was in August last year, that share is equal to $71 billion for Alberta to pay towards the debt. How are we gonna pay $71 billion here in Canada to pay off part of the debt? That's part of what our, our, our uh, that would be our portion of it. 71 billion? Thank you. Uh, very good question. The 71 billion dollars is a little bit low. The actual number is 103 billion dollars that Alberta, the federal government says is our part of their debt. Even though their debt is arrived at by taking your money and giving it to foreign countries. Uh, we're still responsible for paying that. Uh, when we follow through with independence, and that will be through a referendum, and the people have to agree to it, is that once we follow through with independence, that $41 billion in taxes and equalization payments that we currently send to Ottawa, it won't take long to pay back that $103 billion in debt. Our estimate is about five years, and then we will be completely debt-free in Alberta. And we will be one of the, one of the only provinces that uh, will be able to say that. And in addition to that, our deficit, which is how much debt we have uh, when the budget doesn't go the way it's supposed to, uh, we should have a zero deficit every year because uh, we will be bringing in, we will be keeping more money here than we actually spend. Thank you. Next question. Your name and your question, please. My name is Jeffrey Cap. As regards the UCP not being here, well, 
I attended every forum I was able to be part of. Because if the UCP can't be bothered being part of this, you have to question, where will they be for us if they get elected? Yeah. Yeah. So my, quest, my question is, is to Mr. McCann and Mr. Hargreaves. I believe that taxes do not belong to the government. I believe taxes belong to the people who pay those taxes. And they have a right to expect the government to spend that money in respect of them. If you're elected, will you reverse David Egan's policy of intruding on faith-based schools and let the taxpayers who support those schools, both through tuition and through their income taxes, have those schools continue to reflect their values and what they teach our children? John, will you start? Under our program, the calculations that we have uh, arrived at is that we will be able to fund 100% of not only kindergarten to grade 12, but preschool and postgraduate training. All those tuitions, we will have enough money so that no Albertan will be left behind on the educational end of it. As for taxes, uh, and the uh, faith-based schools, the private schools, the everything else, we have set a pretty high standard. It doesn't matter what the school is, that's a community decision. If, if you want, uh, I'm gonna call it an, an A school, a B school, or a C school, that's up to the citizens of, th of this region to vote for. Uh, what we are saying is that if it meets a good standard so that when the students complete that education, they can either go on to further uh, university studies, postgraduate studies, anything like that, or uh, be in a position to uh, gain trade knowledge, trade schools. Uh, all of those are legitimate activities, and all of them will be treated as such with 100% funding. We won't discriminate between any faith, any religion, any people. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Uh, and I agree with you. Taxes do not belong to the government. They belong to the, the people paying them. Uh, with that, um, education has a standard. Uh, and the Alberta Liberal Party stands behind that standard of education. We're looking to improve that as well. Uh, I would note, um, we did put in our, our education platform that we do support uh, charter schools uh, as part of the public system. Of, of course, following that same, uh, that same high standard of, of excellence. Um, uh, An Alberta Liberal government would eliminate school and busing fees for charter school students as well. Uh, to ensure that uh, everybody's being funded fairly and equitably. Thank you. Next question. Hi, my name is Alf Gurr. Questions for Maria Fitzpatrick. Maria, in your opening remarks, you stated that you had attended every event you were invited to. 
On March 17th in the Crow's Nest Pass, before you jump down my throat about the Crow's Nest Pass, there were 989 people from Lethbridge at that rally regarding off-road camping and the use of the backcountry in a responsible way. Also, April 17th in Lethbridge, or pardon me, April 2017, you were invited in Lethbridge. April 2017 in Calgary. May 2017 in Edmonton. June 2017 in Lethbridge. Again in the Crow's Nest Pass, April of 2017. And in Lethbridge again at 2018. Please ask your My question. My question is that you said you attended every event that you were invited to. And the question did is, you? did you? I, I went to every event I was actually invited to. Every event, <laughs> unless I was in the legislature. I see. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. So I actually, the question is What's directed your name at, sorry, Melissa Reed. Thank you. Um, the question is directed at Maria Fitzpatrick. It kind of relates, but on a very different way than that previous question. There have been a few issues I've been concerned about the handling of. Uh, Bill 6 with the farm safety, the handling and banning of, of off-highway vehicles in a number of areas. What have you learned from what you did? A lot of the time you went back, you fixed the legislation in a way that at least kind of made sense. I can't agree with all of it, but in light of the backlash that you've had based on a number of your policies, what have you guys learned from that? How do you do things differently to consult ahead of time rather than trying to back paddle and make it better after? Uh, thank you for your question. And in fact, I do believe that we learned from that experience. And uh, we met with ag societies, we met with uh, all kinds of farming groups. Uh, I've been out to maybe a half a dozen uh, feedlots in, uh, in the Lethbridge area. Uh, I've been out to farms to find out what the issues were there. I went to dairy farms to find out what the issues were there. And I brought that information back to the legislature, but in the meantime, the legislature had consultation, formal consultation that went on. And I think that what we've done, uh, and certainly in terms of Bill 24 that I mentioned just earlier, we had consultation with these groups all over the province to find out the best way that we were to deal with uh, GSAs in the school. Um, we had consultation on uh, any of the bills that required uh, input from uh, the people most affected by it. And I think uh, certainly Bill 6, uh, we have had feedback from farm and ranch uh, all across the uh, province saying that they're happy with the bill, there are some other things that need to be tweaked, and we will have further conversation on that. Uh, yes, you can add a quick one. Uh, what I more mean is what are you doing differently with bills now versus the bills that were in the past not necessarily consulted? Are you, are you consulting more? Are there specific things that you're doing and have learned that you're doing now to help improve? I think that uh, we are doing more consultation, and I think we are looking, if we're putting a bill forward, we're strategic in terms of looking 
uh, how that bill will impact. Are there unintended consequences and how can we deal with those and then going to the affected groups uh, to get that feedback? Thank you. Next question, please. My name is Brooke Cully. And sorry, I just actually, one sec, I'm sorry. We have a rebuttal. So oh, okay. yes, you bet. I apologize. Sorry, just, a, just a, quick, a quick comment here. For Bill 6, we find it's impossible for one size to fit all situations. So we believe that Bill 6 needs to be revisited and clear limits and strategies set for both family farms, and corporate farms. Say, for example, a family farm is one designated as, and I'm just going to make up a number here, uh, one section in size or less. It could be two, whatever the farming community feels is best for them. And so anything above that number, whether it's one section, would, would be then by default considered a corporate farm. So the criteria would then be decided by the farmers of Alberta, not some bureaucratic panel or an agency. We need to talk to the people, find out what works for them, and what they can actually afford, because there's a lot of farmers that there's not much margin left at the end of the season to make it through to the next year. And if we burden them with excess uh, rules, regulations, and policies, uh, that could mean the death of another farmer. And Thank you. Okay. Next question. Hi, my name is Brooke Kelly, and I'd like to first thank SACPA, but I'd really like to thank the three of you. You have all my respect for being here and for running. Um, I certainly hope that the other two candidates that aren't here, it's, this isn't a strategy because I need to be represented and I need to know the person I'm being represented by. To my question, Devin, I just need something in your education platform squared for me. Um, you say you're for choice. You say you're for charter schools. How do you feel about the 70% funding that goes to private schools of taxpayer dollars? And how do you square non-compliance of legislation if we're funding those private schools? Yeah. Thank you, Brooke. As I said, education has a standard. And if that standard's not being met, uh, then that's, that's where we draw the line. We do have to stand up and make sure that all of our uh, youth are receiving the, the same quality education, that true inclusion exists for, um, for every race, uh, gender, and, uh, and orientation. Thank you. Next question, please. Ken Beat. Uh, this is a question for all of the candidates. And if there's time, I have a second question, but I may join the end of the line again then. I think you'll have to, yes. Uh, the preamble is looking at the crowd, there's a lot of gray hair, missing hair, hearing aids. How would uh, you uh, and your party plan on appealing to a younger demographic? Thank you. Who would like to start? Devin, let's start with Devin. <laughs> he doesn't have any gray hair. I was going to say, the youngest man. <laughs> I've pulled a few gray hairs out lately. <laughs> um, yeah, the, our, our youth are the future. We are uh, focused on post-secondary, expanding that, building our province. And hey, let's uh, elect uh, some younger representation 
everything uh, is a balance. So let's get a balance of, uh, of age and experience, and let's get a balance of, of youthfulness and uh, a fresh set of eyes to, to look things over. Alberta is a, a united, strong province. We are what we make it, and uh, it's us together, so thank you. John? Yeah, I, I just want to say that uh, that's an excellent question. It's been traditionally, regardless of the party, a huge challenge to get younger people to vote, to try to find that, that magic touch or whatever it is to encourage them to put their cynicism, cynicism aside. And I thought ours were bad at our age, but uh, the younger folks, uh, they're very, very astute in, as to to what's happening in politics. They don't like it. They think it's sleazy and corrupt. But they're more engaged than we give them credit for. Thank you. I've earned every gray hair on my head. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for your question. And uh, I will tell you that uh, I think I engage with um, a full gamut of uh, age groups. And in fact, uh, this last uh, NDP government, uh, the average age was 37 when we began in 2015. That's the youngest average age for a government ever in Alberta. So I think we have appealed uh, to younger people because we certainly had a lot of young people in our uh, caucus, in fact, Thomas Dang was the youngest at 22 years of age. And um, I talk to people of all ages um, probably three or four days out of the week I'm speaking to people that are a different age than I am. And they provide their perspective to me. And uh, certainly when they've asked questions of me, I've been able to provide my perspective from every bit of experience that I got through this gray hair. Um, I, my door is always open, and in fact, my office is open, or was open, from 9.30 until 1.30 every day for walk-ins. Uh, after that, if you made an appointment, meant certainly, I had a number of appointments with uh, Devin. So uh, um, I think that anybody's perspective is worthwhile if you listen, and I do listen. Thank you. I, I really like that question. I hope there's time to hear your second question. My name's Deb Kellett. Um, this is for all of you. I would like to know if you are going to take decisive action on climate change if you're elected, and if so, what will it be? Maria, <laughs> you looked at me, so you get to start. <laughs> uh, thank you for your question. And I think that, um, in fact, the carbon levy is the beginning of a decisive action. Uh, people think that the carbon levy is just a tax. The fact of the matter is, the carbon levy is about change of behavior. If you are paying, uh, um, a carbon tax because 
let's say, for example, you use your car to drive to the supermarket, which is a block away, you are choosing to pay more on your carbon levy. However, if you change your behavior and walk that block instead, then you are cutting down on the emissions and you are paying less in your carbon levy. So it's about a behavior change. And I, I don't think many people realize it's about behavior change, uh, but research says that if people change their behavior and if you tax something so that they will do that, it makes a difference in terms of the outcomes. And we've seen a change in terms of the outcomes. John. I just have one comment on the uh, carbon tax. The problem with the carbon tax that I have, it is a tax, and, but it is designed to change behavior. Unfortunately, all of us don't live in a big city with public transportation, uh, LRT systems. We have to drive. And if you're living in southern Alberta and it's minus 45, I don't think I'm going to be uh, not driving to Costco or, or to the other side of the city to do my business. Well, what about people that have to get there? Um, I'm sorry. And, and so, so that's the big the big challenge, or the big disconnect, I should say, in large uh, centers where it's, uh, it's, it may be possible to take public transportation to change behavior. If you're living in rural Alberta, you don't have that option. So it, it's pretty difficult to paint everybody with the same brush. He's answering the question the way he would like to answer the question. Yes. Are and, you and comfortable with that? And so the, the second part of this question for the carbon tax is that right now that tax is based on a specified dollar, dollar amount per ton of pollution or whatever. And, uh, and that's to change the behavior of the people. What happens when the government, federal or provincial, decides that that $30 isn't enough. We want $1,000 a ton. Once a tax is in place, it's carte blanche for them to change it. And so we have to be very careful on that end of it. Uh, and that's just my opinion. Thank you. Thank you. Devin. Thanks for your question. Uh, the Alberta Liberal Party is committed to, to protecting the environment, uh, among that banning clear-cutting and... Uh, increasing recycling now that China is taking less of our, our electronic waste. One thing I'd like to focus on being in southern Alberta is addressing our $260 billion in unfunded reclamation costs. Uh, we've got oil wells that are uh, sitting there. Uh, the estimate that it's going to cost as much as $260 billion to, to cap those, those wells, whereas the government uh, currently has only collected a mere $1.6 billion from industry. Uh, which is about 0.6% of the total bill. Uh, the NDP, UCP, and Alberta Party uh, blocked our demand for an emergency debate on this in the, the fall 2018 session of the Alberta Legislature. So we would go forward with, with that, and uh, that's the, the, one of our, our platform pieces I feel best speaks to, to Southern Alberta and where we live. Thank you. 
Next question, please. Your name and the question. Good evening. My name is George Ney, and I think I'm more nervous right now than the day I said I do to my wife <laughs> 50 years ago. However, um, I am a retired educator. I taught in the public system all my life, and I was very happy there. I am also a convinced um, believer in democracy. And I, believe, I understand that the present government does not respect a person's right if their religion is different than theirs. I believe every person in the world has a religion. And uh, you might be Muslim, you might be Christian, Hindu, Sikh, whatever. But I believe that there are other people who think of themselves as scientific, who kind of have a philosophy of, I'm not sure if I got the right word, but scientific materialism. And what we have is a situation where the Department of Education in Alberta is setting guidelines um, and they're just promoting a different religion than the people that say, I, I hear that you, they're gonna stop the Catholic school. Do you have school. a question, sir? What's your question? My question is, um, is it true that you are planning to, to um, get rid of uh, the Catholic school system and uh, charter schools uh, in the next mandate that you have? Or I'm are assuming you going that's to, respect to Maria, correct? Religion. That question is for Maria? Sure, yes, I think Maria. she'd be a great person to answer that. Thank you for your question. Uh, the Catholic schools are enshrined in our Constitution. You could not change that unless you had a referendum in the province. It, it, is, not, it is not in our platform to do anything like that. Thank you. I believe she's answered your question. No, unfortunately, we, we've got a lineup, so thank you so much. <laughs> My question is Frank Walden. This question is for Maria Fitzpatrick. The revenue from the carbon tax, I believe, was primarily for green initiatives to support that. Is any of that going to be used as a revenue stream to pay off the debt? The, when the carbon levy was imposed, uh, it was said that that money was going to go back into uh, the economy in terms of diversification and rebates uh, to people who, depending on what their um, income is. And that's exactly where it's going. So no time it's going to be used for the, for the, to pay down a debt or another revenue stream? Nope. My name's Laurie Schultz. Um, thank you for your presentations this evening. Um, in my career, I'm retired now, but in my career was in the social work area and child protection, working with client services, which involved um, individuals with, and families uh, with addiction issues. And in the 90s, I, it was extremely difficult to connect clients and families with appropriate addiction services, and that was mainly because of the slash and burn of Ralph Klein in the 90s. Devastated the services that we did at one time have, 
in the past few months, there was a SACPA presentation where a Lethbridge um, ER doctor came to speak about uh, the challenges of, of addicted individuals coming to the ER. And my question to him was, where do you refer these individuals and families who are wanting help? And he said, nowhere. There's, there's very few. Now, uh, so my question is, to, for everyone, is, um, and I guess for Maria, what approach has the current government taken and what approach would um, the other parties, individuals take to create meaningful services, not only with respect to the consumption site, um, but also um, rural Albertan women are one of the highest um, uh, I, demographics. I need you to close your okay. question. And Thank also you. just the affluent, um, those addicted generally. Okay, excellent. So you mentioned Maria, so we'll let Maria start with that. Thank you for your question, Laura. And I'm going to start by saying that um, in my former life, I spent 32 and a half years working in federal corrections. And addictions was uh, a huge issue in terms of people that were incarcerated and then released on parole. Uh, the doctor may say that there's no programs around. There are. Uh, and in fact, our government has increase the funding for wraparound services here in Lethbridge, and they've done so in other communities as well. Um, I would certainly like to see more money, and at some point there's going to be more money, because I know when people are in addictions, uh, the first thing you have to do is keep them alive. The second thing you have to do is engage them in their own treatment. When people go into treatment, when you've been addicted to an opioid or crystal meth or whatever it is, it takes about a year before your body is physically in a position to, uh, to stick with you when you say you don't want to use drugs. And that takes money to do that, but the reality is if you want addictions to stop, then certainly you have to do that uh, to treat people, to get them back in the community. But I will tell you that I had lots of success when, with my caseload in corrections, and I'm telling you, if I couldn't find a program right uh, within the Edmonton or the Red Deer area, uh, I was looking to see where the closest program was, and I made sure that that offender was engaged in treatment because I couldn't afford to use that capital when somebody was not engaged in their own treatment. So uh, we have put more money into wraparound services here, and I hope that we're able to do more of that once we get to a balanced budget. Thank you. John? Addiction is a uh, mental health issue, and our policy is to increase funding to the Alberta health care system, bring back uh, sufficient resources for these mental health issues to be resolved. Past governments, uh, and I'm not going to say any party, but past governments have traditionally uh, gone with the process of, well, let's just throw these people out on the street and and just forget about them. Well, that's not acceptable to us, and I don't think it's acceptable to most Albertans. Uh, 
we need to take those people, try to our best to rehabilitate them, and with our funding, we, that shouldn't be an issue. We will bring back the mental health uh, uh, capabilities that Alberta once had, I'm gonna say 20 years ago, where we could look after all of these people and uh, not in a combative en environment. Thank you very much. Devin. Thanks for your question. I get to hear a lot about this topic because my wife's an addictions counselor, so. Um, what the Alberta Liberal Party would, would do is, uh, would be committing to declaring a, a public state of uh, emergency to better mobilize work inter, uh, between, between governments and uh, get this issue addressed. It's changing Lethbridge. I feel we've, we've all felt that to some degree. Um, and uh, we're, we're following along with the four pillars drug strategy, so prevention, harm reduction, treatment, and enforcement. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. Hi, uh, my name is Roshan Vidarian, and my question is for Maria. Um, as a teen interested in politics, my question is, what have you learned during your time in office, and what would you do differently if re-elected? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I certainly think that um, I learned it's really important to listen, and uh, previous uh, things in my life, um, I learned that I had to listen to find out what the issue really was and how to find resolution. Uh, so for me, um, listening uh, to constituents, listening when I'm in the legislature, um, and I'll give you an example, actually, in the legislature. Um, there was a bill being debated, and um, I hadn't planned on speaking to that bill. And a member of the opposition stood up and made a comment say, talking about loss of jobs in a particular uh, field. Uh, I had actually met with that particular employer, and uh, in fact, so had Shannon, and uh, that company had just invested between 20 and 30 million to upgrade and to update their facility and had no intention of laying anybody off. And because I heard that being said by an opposition member that this company was laying off, I stood up immediately. I wasn't supposed to, but as soon as the speaker asked for other speakers, I stood up. Uh, the whip turned around and said, you didn't have your name on the list. And I said, two minutes, that's all I need. And I stood up and I challenged what he said because it was wrong. Um, he got a little red in the face and actually left the chamber. But I had to make sure that the correct information was on Hansard. So uh, I think listening was really important. I think that uh, we have done some tremendous legislation over the past four years. And uh, for me particularly, uh, the legislation that we did around domestic violence and sexual assault, uh, because that's uh, very personal to me, uh, I was really proud of the work that we did on that. Um, and women's reproductive health. Okay, thank you. I'm Allison Pike, parent of three children with disabilities. Um, I have two educational questions, one for Devin and one for Maria. 
First one for Devin, you said you will add more educational assistance. We actually need more trained educational assistance, not just a warm body providing educational behavioral help for our children with disabilities. What will you do to ensure people working with our most vulnerable students are qualified and trained to do the important work they need to do? How will you ensure our kids will be safe, educated, and supported by trained professionals in inclusive classrooms? Thank you. Um, with that, as I said, diversifying our economy is about pushing our post-secondary. It's through our fine post-secondary uh, institutions that we're, we're training a more qualified people. It's keeping a high level of, of education. It's making sure that people are in it for the, the right reasons. Um, thank you. Is your question the same for Maria, or do you have a, another one? It's a different one. I can go after. No, go, go. Hey. He's offered, so Perfect. you get to go. Yay. So Maria, how will you support hearing the parent voice in education for things such as draft grade 5 to 12 education curriculum, supports for children with disabilities, and student success? Okay, so I'll begin by thanking you, Allison, for the question. And in fact, you know, as part of a student council and representing the student council or the uh, parent councils and representing that group in Edmonton as part of the Alberta uh, Parent Councils Group. Uh, you bring those, that information forward, and I believe, based on my conversations with the ministry, that in fact, uh, when you bring things forward from the council, uh, the minister and the department look at what you've brought forward and how can we incorporate that into uh, the everyday classroom. And I thank you for that. And we certainly intend to continue to support that. Thank you. Yes. So my question, my name's Chris, and my question is to all of you guys again. And it has to do with transportation and how to make Alberta more accessible for people that don't drive. So like when Greyhound left, that left a big void for inner city in southern Alberta. And so how would you promote that to keep happening and to keep growing so people can get around? John, you get to start. Sure. Our policy towards transportation is a mixture of rural and urban uh, transportation outlets so that people that either have, can't drive, can't afford to drive, have disabilities or learning issues, we will set up a system where uh, transportation is provided and it doesn't matter whether you live out in 40 Mile or you live in downtown Lethbridge. That, that um, transportation option will be available. It may not be on an hourly schedule like it would be in a city, but it, it could be a one day a week, two day a week, whatever it is that's that's the demand requires, and the uh, citizens tell us that they need. Thank you. Maria? Thank you for the question. And in fact, uh, our government um, uh, was certainly, um, uh, I won't say inundated, but certainly we had lots of feedback uh, from everybody across uh, southern Alberta about a regional plan, especially when uh, Greyhound left. 
And we put money into a regional plan that is doing the first step of that program, so Medicine Hat to Lethbridge. And we are already doing the consultation from Lethbridge to uh, the Crow's Nest Pass and from Lethbridge uh, to Calgary. Um, again, it's expensive to do it, but uh, we recognize that people need to move around our province. Now, my pie-in-the-sky thought would be I'd like to see that rapid transit between Edmonton and Calgary. I'd like to see a line that comes from the north into Edmonton. I'd like to see uh, a southern line that goes from Lethbridge or Medicine, Lethbridge and Medicine Hat into, um, into um, uh, Calgary to join that line. And in fact, if it had been done 15 years ago when it, the initial conversation happened, it would have cost us billions of dollars less than it would take for us to do just one piece of that right now. But uh, work is being done on uh, that kind of a, a program right across the province. In the meantime, uh, you would see if you've driven uh, Highway 2, that corridor, uh, there's been uh, lots and lots of road work that's been done to widen Highway 2. Uh, they've widened Highway uh, 60, let me see, 63, I think it is, up north. And uh, we're looking at all different uh, areas where that kind of highway work needs to be done. And I've attended uh, many of the Highway 3 meetings, Highway 3 twinning meetings, uh, to make sure that corridor is uh, wide open for the traffic that's on it right now. But I think... Thank it's you, a multifaceted uh, piece. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Devin. Thanks for your question. Um, I personally do feel that transportation does come down to, to being an accessibility issue. So with that, I would, would definitely support an, an initiative to, to see that addressed. Thank you. I'm really surprised no one said teleportation. <laughs> like it seemed an obvious answer. Just kidding. It's late. We need to get a little comedic relief. Next question. Ken back again. This is for all of the candidates. And I hope we haven't beaten education to death yet. My question is around foreign students. So it is more related to post-secondary education. Do you feel that the proportion of foreign students is appropriate and that they are paying an appropriate amount to attend our colleges and universities. John would like to go first. And then we're gonna close questions off after, after yeah. Melissa. Melissa, after Chris. After no, we've got a new one. Chris. Chris. We'll let the new guy go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thank you. oh, just okay, yes. Okay, foreign students. foreign students. The issue that we see with foreign students is it's a revenue generating system for the education system. The more foreign students they have, the more they can charge for them. It that doesn't work well for the regular Albertan who wants an education and finds there's no seats left because the education system has sold them to the highest bidder. That's just my paraphrase words, but uh, that's basically how it ends up. We need to really look at how many 
students, whether they're, they're, they're postgraduate students or wherever they are, and, and look at it and say, okay, the number of traditional empty slots dictates how many foreign students we can have. We don't want to end up in a situation where there are so many foreign students there are no empty slots left for Albertans. Thank you. Maria? Uh, thank you for the question. And I can't tell you if there's a percentage or there's a, a number of slots available. I know that both the university here and the college here uh, do have a number, uh, but that number does not take away from uh, anybody local who wants to attend university. Uh, but I want to say uh, something about uh, when uh, students come from other countries, uh, we have an opportunity to learn from them. And I've spoken to many professors at the university who have all said to me what um, a rich experience it was to have foreign students in their class and the contribution that those students uh, give to that class and to the university as a whole. So um, again, I don't know what the numbers are and uh, uh, I think as long as Albertans can get into our universities, um, I, don't, I don't have an issue with foreign students coming. Thanks for your question. Um, so I do agree being on even the, the Students Association at the college. You do see when, when there are cuts, uh, that does tend to be one of the programs that uh, isn't touched because it is a, a money maker. So with that, uh, let's let's keep pr the priority on Albertans. It does still help with uh, with funding our, our education system. I'm definitely in favor of, of foreign students as well. One thing the Alberta Liberal Party recently put out was um, developing a, a guideline uh, for accreditation. So instead of filling up those spots with students who have to go and, and retake and relearn their profession, Let's get things in place so that they can start working in the medical field or whatever their expertise may be without uh, having to, to clog up our, our post-secondary. Let's utilize what they already have and uh, make sure that it's, it's good, meets our standards, and uh, yeah, I feel that would, would save a lot of, of time for everyone. Thank you. New person. My Questions for Maria. You mentioned two local projects. Mark. You mentioned two local projects that I saw personally lucrative in the form of work and wages. The destination project at the University of Lethbridge and the Cavendish Farms project. You said that the government put money towards getting those projects. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what that means. And if you could explain that. Okay, so and would you put more money in the future towards new projects? Okay, so I believe the project at the university, it was t about $248 million. Uh, I could, I'd have to check those figures, but uh, that money that went into that project actually employed lots of local people in the construction of that project. Uh, same with the Cavendish uh, Farm Project, but also uh, the tech building at uh, the college. Uh, and I, again, I can't tell you how much money went into it. We did not put money into uh, Cavendish. 
what we did is we provided money to the irrigation um, uh, system that was there because it had to be rerouted for the entire Sperling um, uh, industrial area. Uh, so we put money into that, which um, reaffirmed for Cavendish that we were serious about them coming in and about them investing their money. Awesome, thank you. Thank Just you. quick clarification, Maria. When you said 240 million, was that the total project cost or what you think government contributed? I think that's what we contributed. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yes, we have two more questions and then we're going to do closing remarks and then we are right on time. It's incredible. So yes. When so I have a little bit of a question that relates to our oil and gas revenues. I've noticed that there is no way for me to buy Canadian gasoline. We extract our, our gas and our oil and the bitumen here. We're starting to refine things more. However, I would love to be able to go buy Canadian gas. I don't, I can't do that right now. Does your party, or is your party having any conversations around that? And if so, what do those conversations look like and what would you do in order to make it more of a possibility for us to actually use the resources that we're extracting for our people? And sorry, my name's Melissa Reed. <laughs> we're gonna start with Devin. That end. Thank you for your question. Uh, the Alberta Liberal Party is in favor of, uh, let's restart the Energy East pipeline talks. Let's get our oil to Canadian refineries, let's get it refined here, and let's get our product uh, to, to benefit Canadians. And uh, we definitely should be looking as well at developing our own refineries in, in Alberta. Let's, let's keep it local, let's keep the money here. Thank you. John? Okay, right now, uh, thank you for the question. Right now, in our current environment, it is not cost-effective to refine our own gasoline in Alberta. There is such a glut on the market, and we can't get our product right now to Tidewater, and so if we invest in new refineries, that will just split that capacity to another form of storage, but we will still have that same problem. And that's why the private industry is very reluctant to look at a new refinery, unless the government backs them with lots of money, because they know it's not cost-effective to do it at this point. Uh, once the pipelines are through Tidewater and we can get all of our product to the clients that we need, uh, that would be a better time to revisit this this idea of, a, of refining our own products. R the biggest thing right now, and uh, Devin is right, is that we look at the Canadian refineries that are, unfortunately right now, there's a small one in, in BC and there's a much larger one in New Brunswick, uh, some in Quebec and some small ones in Ontario. Uh, those refine more products than Canadians use. And so there's an excess capacity right now, and it doesn't really make any sense to have uh, more storage facilities and, and more products. Thank you very much. Okay, I agree with Devin. 
We should be providing our refined products right across the country and especially here in Alberta. Right now we're bringing oil and gas in from Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. And the U.S. is actually our biggest competitor now. Uh, we need to have access right across the country. It may take time before we're going to get access, but if we've refined the product, we have better opportunity to move it across the country and move it to Tidewater than we have if we're moving bitumen. Uh, we, are, um, we have certainly opened uh, and supported the um, Sturgeon, Sturgeon Redwater uh, refinery just northwest or northeast of Edmonton. And uh, another uh, group is uh, beginning refining in uh, Sherwood Park, and they're going to develop a product that is, I want to say glycol, but it is not. It's something similar to that, that uh, we can use for many other products. And um, we are supporting those industries because we are supporting our oil and gas industry. And it is... The oil and gas uh, industry has been the bedrock of Alberta's economy for many, many years. We should have refined years ago. We didn't. So, thank you. Okay, thank you. And our last question, and it better be good. <laughs> <laughs> so my question for you guys is that people with disabilities aren't always heard, and MLAs won't meet with them sometimes. So how would you guys work with the disability community, especially uh, developmental disabilities? How would you work with them moving forward? How would you make sure they were invited to come and meet with you if you became LMA, the MLA? And that's for each of you, and you get 30 seconds. So, Devin, <laughs> start. Thanks, Chris. Um, as you know, I've, I've met with you before. Uh, and I'm committed to that. Uh, it's about representing Lethbridge, it's about representing Albertans. Uh, so definitely, we do have to, to have accessibility to your elected official. Uh, and I would, would definitely commit to, to sitting down with, with any constituent that wanted to uh, address their concerns. Thank you. John. I hate to mirror Devin, but we're on the same page on this. We. People with dis disabilities need to be heard, and uh, we're treating every Albertan equally. We don't care what your disability is, who you are, everybody will get heard the same and get the same treatment. Thank you very much. Maria. That is what I have done for the last four years. Thank you so much for your questions. We're going to do quick closing statements from all of our candidates. I feel it's an appropriate way to end the night. And we're going to go in reverse order this time. So we're going to start with John. You've got two minutes. Okay. Okay, the Alberta Independence Party is pleased to announce that we'll provide a budget of $15 billion over the next five years for municipalities across Alberta funding every one of the 87 ridings with $36 million per riding. Uh, this, the reason for this is to address municipal revenue shortfalls from the devastating effects of the oil price adjustments 
regulatory policies that have left municipalities searching for solutions without burdening the residential property owners. In addition to that, we recognize that an alignment of all debt in Alberta, both provincially and municipal, municipality, needs, uh, will need to be accomplished to ensure that maturity dates are consistent as we move through our four-year four transition plan to independence. Therefore, we're pleased to announce that the uh, a second element to the independence uh, is to refinance all municipalities through the Alberta Treasury branch with interest-free loans uh, all principal amounts will be aligned for a complete principal repayment within a 29-year time period. This will ensure that all new independent combined federal-provincial Alberta government is working and funding and funded lockstep with all internal and external financial institutions. Our third program is Rural Security and Transition to the Alberta Federation of Police. The Alberta Independence Party recognizes that the current issues facing rural ridings in Alberta with respect to individuals' security and privacy, the need to protect our rural constituents and borders, and the need to create our own independent Alberta police force. Uh, therefore, uh, the party ha um, has announced that a final element of this plan is to fund two and a half times the current funding for the R RCMP and sheriff total under a new Alberta-wide Federation of Police. Uh, this will generate significant employment, economic growth and diversification, and address the financial shortfalls without a single pipeline to, to Tidewater. That's under our current funding envelope that all political parties are working under right now. John, we've got time, so if you could make one last statement. Okay. Um, the immediate decentralization uh, of Ottawa will spur 160,000 skilled jobs in Alberta in the first four years alone. Thank you very much. Devin. Thank you. So I won't keep you much longer than we, we have to. You've, you've seen who I am, you've heard my policies and where we stand on things. We do try to be as accessible as, pol uh, as possible. If you have any questions at all, reach out to, my, uh, to myself, to my team, and we'd be happy to, to answer that. Um, one thing I do want to point out, how we started tonight off, um, our, our last MLA indicated that she shows up, and that's, that's great. And I, I do respect the work that she has done, but we need someone who's going to show up and champion it. Uh, going door to door, a lot that we've heard at the doors is that over the last four years, Lethbridge East, particularly as a riding, has not felt heard or, or addressed. So if you feel that same way, I would definitely uh, invite you to, to vote Devon Hargreaves for Lethbridge East. Thank you. Thank you. Maria. Oh, this should be fun. Okay, I will uh, try to do it from here. Uh, thank you to the organizers for inviting me to participate in this excellent forum. Thank you. Uh, for the last four years, I have worked 
tirelessly to provide you with the best representation possible. I gave you my word in 2015 to represent you, and I kept my word. We entered our mandate with the price of oil dropping from 110 to $26 per barrel. We entered a recession felt by all of Canada. We in Alberta not only weathered this recession, we actually moved forward. And I know not everybody felt, um, felt that uh, recession in the same way, and many people in the oil field lost their jobs. And we have worked hard to try to fix that. In this election, you have a clear choice to make. Myself and Rachel Notley to continue to move forward as we have done in the last four years. Um, and now I'd like to just roll this out for you. This is a list of our accomplishments for the last four years. If you want to have a look at it, or you can see it on the website. We have worked hard for Alberta. I have worked hard for you. And in fact, I have listened and I have championed you in the legislature. And if you want to check that out, go to Hansard and see how many times I stood and spoke for Lethbridge and Lethbridge East. As I said, you have a choice. Myself and Rachel Notley and our government or Jason Kenney, who will roll it back to 2015 by spending the summer repealing every piece of legislation that we have done in the last four years. Again, you have my word that if re-elected, I will continue to represent you in the Alberta legislature. If you want continued project in, uh, progress in Lethbridge East, vote for me. Maria Fitzpatrick, when you go to the uh, polls on Election Day. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to thank all of the candidates for your fabulous performance tonight. I hope you were as enlightened as I was. I want to thank SACPAW again for creating this opportunity. And I know it's late, so all I have to say is April 16th, get out to the polls. Thank you and have a great night.